May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So let's just pause for a moment and reflect on those readings and how they speak to us in our current situation. It's been a crazy and pretty unsettling week and a half. It was Wednesday the week before last where Vestry was talking about in a kind of abstract theoretical way what we might do if we couldn't gather as church. By the next day we'd been told that gatherings of more than 100 weren't allowed, which for us wasn't a big issue because we we're nowhere near that, but it did raise some interesting questions about Easter. On Saturday we got the email saying that over 70 should stay home and that put our AGM in doubt. And then Saturday afternoon I got the email saying, actually, there should be no more Anglican services. Well, that meant we could still gather in other places. We could still have coffee meets and AAW and prayer circle. But by Monday all that had changed as well and we were no longer allowed to gather. And by Wednesday we were in lockdown. A lot has changed in our last week or so. Our lives have been turned upside down. We are having to rethink how we live our lives. We are in a strange new land. And for the next few weeks at least, and well, three and a half weeks, and if we're honest, probably more than that, this is the land we're in. So, how are we all feeling in this lockdown? How are we feeling with COVID-19 all around us and the growing, well, the growing need to stay safe from this virus? And how are we feeling about church at the end of this first week? It is hard not being able to gather. I've got to say it's pretty hard leading church from our music room. It's hard not doing this from church. Some of the media have talked about because we can't gather in church, church has been cancelled. But we have not been cancelled. The fact that we're trying to do this online this morning says that we have not been cancelled. A few years ago, just before I came to the parish, I finished a master's and for the thesis I wrote about how we use the Anglican liturgical tradition with young people. And as part of that I had to describe what the Anglican liturgical tradition is. In my Masters, I said that in our tradition, worship is an encounter between the living God and God's people, God's church, which changes and shapes those who participate as individuals and as a church. And I went on to describe some of the descriptors of the Anglican, Anglican liturgical tradition, which at best includes, it is accessible to all who are present so that they may participate its genesis goes back to the earliest liturgies of the Christian church through the work of Thomas Cramner. It has a particular flow and structure. It invites people to worship in common with Christians throughout the ages and the world in its use of common texts. These texts and structure are spirit-inspired and preserve and proclaim the universal faith of the church in God. The universal faith of the church in God, and as such, belong to the whole church. The use of scripture is central. 
it is more than words. And then I said that this list was not exhaustive. So in light of that, we are trying to find ways that we can all participate in the worship of our community. We have invited you all to pray each day at 9.30 and we've provided liturgies that come out of our New Zealand prayer book for us to do that in common in our bubbles. And we pray each day at 9.30 knowing as we do that that others are gathering across Aotearoa New Zealand and around the world and around the world to worship in very similar ways. We gather with them and worship together. We are using the same or similar readings and we are using very similar liturgies. In that way, we continue our worshiping life as a parish and we continue to gather so that in our worship, we may encounter the living God. And in that encounter, we may continue to be changed, shaped, both as individuals and as a church. So I invite you to join us each day in this rhythm. These texts, as I said in my description, were inspired and preserved and preserve to proclaim the universal faith of the church in God. I guess one of the questions might be, what does this faith look like in this unsettled time that we currently live in? Well, to help us with that question, we have been offered two powerful stories. The first, the vision given to the prophet Ezekiel for the people of Judah, now in exile. They had suffered double humiliation, defeated twice at the hands of the Babylonians. The first time much of their leadership and many of their artisans had been taken into exile, not to live in particular, particularly hard circumstances, but still in exile. And then the second humiliation, crushed by the Babylonians. Now all their leaders were either captives in exile or executed. And all that had given meaning to their lives had been deliberately destroyed. Jerusalem was gone. The temple, the place where God's glory, the Shekinah of God, where that glory had resided, that had been torn down. The temple, the centre of their cultic faith, was gone. The Ark of the Covenant was gone. Now they were taken into exile to serve new masters. Their lives had been turned upside down. They were in a strange new land, far from all that had given them meaning. And they were having to rethink if and how they worshipped their God now that the temple was gone. They were having to rethink how they lived their lives. They felt like dried up bones left after the slaughter of battle. This vision that Ezekiel was given was not an event, but a powerful image through, given through Ezekiel to those people now living in a foreign land. Being, and the vision was that they were being raised with God's life. Even in this place of captivity, God was with them, offering life and hope. I wonder how this image might speak to how we are feeling after a nearly a week of isolation and lockdown, 
and longer with all the uncertainty this virus brings to us all. What is it like in this foreign land living in our homes, in our bubbles? In what ways do we feel like dried up bones? And how do these words of Ezekiel speak to us? We have this vision of Ezekiel because the gospel set down for today, the fifth Sunday in Lent in year A, is the raising of Lazarus from death. And the Ezekiel story kind of matches it. In John's Gospel, this is the last of seven miracles or signs. Last week, we heard the second to last sign of Jesus healing the man born blind. In this last sign, Lazarus is rising. This last sign, Lazarus is rising, closes out the first half of the Gospel. And as we heard at the end of the reading, it convinces the Judean leadership, the Jews, that Jesus must die. The rest of the gospel is focused on Jesus' journey into Jerusalem, his last supper. We have a whole lot of verses of uh, his high priestly prayer, which is actually his last, last kind of talk with the disciples, his arrest and trial, his crucifixion, and then resurrection. In terms of the timeline, we are nearly at the end. In terms of the book, we're dead center. Chapter 11 is right at the center of the book. And at the exact centre of chapter 11 is Martha's confession of faith in Jesus as Messiah and Son of God, which is precisely the purpose of the gospel as expressed in chapter 20, verse 31. That statement that Jesus is the Messiah and Son of God is the main theological statement of the gospel. And, well, it's said by a woman. The interesting thing about John's Gospel is women play a really significant role. They are often the ones who do the key, uh, involved in the key moments. But that is another sermon, so we'll just move right along. Now, the important thing to remember in John's Gospel is that uh, the miracles are signs, and these signs point beyond the actual event. If we get stuck on the event or if we get stuck on the literal words that Jesus uses to talk about those events, then we miss the point. In the other six stories of signs, there is an event. So last week we heard about the blind man who was healed. There is a dialogue. So last week the blind man had several conversations about being healed with Pharisees and others and then has a conversation with Jesus. And then Jesus uses that conversation and that event to teach which is why we then listen to John chapter 10, which made last week's gospel reading even longer than this week's. In each case, the sign was important, but it was not the point. The point was how Jesus used that event and the dialogue to teach about who he was as the light which has come into the world from the Father. In this story, the dialogue and the teaching teaching happen before the event, before the sign, but the effect is the same. While Lazarus is being raised is pretty impressive, 
And while it provides the reason for why the Judean leadership decide that Jesus really does have to die, it is not the point of the story. The point is that it acts as a signpost to Jesus' to Jesus's own death and resurrection. Jesus uses this astounding event to show that he is the resurrection and the life. I have not used the word resurrection for Jesus for Lazarus's rising because, well, he will die again. It's a bit of a bit of a debate within the within the commentaries. Can we describe Lazarus Lazarus's resurrection as a resurrection, or is it just a rising? And some will say no, it's a resurrection. It points to Jesus' resurrection, so we have to use the word resurrection. And others will say it's not a resurrection because. He returns in a same mortal body. He will die again. At least I'm pretty sure he dies again. I'm absolutely sure that unless he's the Highlander, he's still not around. But while he was really dead, stinky dead, four days dead. Four days is for Jews at that time. Three days is when the kind of last remnants of life left the body. So four days dead means really dead, life force gone, and stinky. Like, you do not want to go near him. Jesus brings this stinky dead person back to life, but in his old mortal body. When Jesus is resurrected, it's a whole new way of being. And it is that that we are offered at the end of time. A whole new way of being. However, we understand that at the end of time when death is defeated, humanity restored, creation renewed, that is the resurrection. But Jesus is also the life, and that is all about now. So, what does that look like? Let's go back to the story. So, today we have the story of Jesus deciding to return to the danger zone back to where people are trying to, to stone him. They've already tried twice. Like us, the disciples are deeply unsure about what is going on. And in our current situation of lockdown and isolation and bubbles, we too are deeply unsure about what is going on. And like us, they fear the consequences. Like us, Jesus stays in his bubble of disciples, keeping his distance from all those mourners Not because of COVID-19, but because some of them, the Judeans, have already tried to stone him. Twice. First, Martha comes quietly out to find him. Maybe keeping her distance. I don't know. Did she keep her two meters social distance? She understands the risks, so she does it quietly. And then she returns and tells Mary, quietly. But Mary is always impetuous and her sudden move alerts the Judeans that something is up and they follow. In the end, these Judeans will find him and break his bubble. They will crowd around him as he calls Lazarus out by name from stinky death. Lazarus hears the voice of the Good Shepherd. So at the end of last week's story about Jesus raising the the man born blind, He then talks about himself as the good shepherd and his flock will hear his voice and come. The blind man heard his voice and obeyed. Lazarus hears his voice, hears his name and comes back from stinky death out of the tomb. 
and all that bound him in death, represented by the wrappings, is unravelled. He is set free to live. Some are amazed, and some are shocked by this act. But wait, there is more. Lazarus is not just raised to life as it was. If we'd carried on with the reading, we would have heard about a meal that night. And at that meal, Lazarus reclines at Jesus' breast. This is what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. This kind of deep, intimate, trusting relationship, embraced in God's love. God the Father and Jesus breaking into our isolation and fear and offering love and hope. When Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life, that is talking about now and the quality of life we have now, even in our little bubbles in our own homes. And we need this more than ever right now in this time of uncertainty and fear. Like every other sign, we are invited beyond the story of the miracle, beyond the literal understanding of Jesus' words, into the big picture that John offers. We are invited to live. God so loved the world. God is compassion. God loves us. God is compassionate to us. God invites us to live out that love and compassion. That is what it means to be led from death into life. One of the commentators I read says that last week we were reminded that blindness, disease and even little viruses are not a curse from God, not a punishment. They just simply are. But in these times, we are reminded that God is present. Just as Mary and Martha found Jesus in the depths of their despair and disappointment, just as Jesus found the disciples and was present for them in their confusion and fear, so God is present for us in this storm. And like last week, these times offer us an opportunity to do the works of the God who loves. These are strange and uncertain times. And for many, they are times of uncertainty and fear. But they are also a time we can grow in our trust that God is present no matter what happens. This time provides for us an opportunity to pray about what it means to be church and how we live out for each other and our neighbours. It provides a time to know the God who loves, who loves us, who loves our neighbours, who loves all people and this world we live on and to respond by doing the works we are able in love. So I invite you to take time each day to pray, to take time each day to give thanks for this time. That might seem a bit weird, but I would encourage you to do that, to stop each day and to think, what am I grateful for this day? What things have occurred? How am I feeling? that allows me to feel gratitude. In conclusion, I'd invite you to be kind to, to be kind to and to look after yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't be too demanding. Take the time you need 
to be kind to and to care for those who live in your bubble. You're going to be with them for a long time. To stay safe, to stay calm, and above all, keep washing your hands.